0: Welcome back, everyone, another episode of the podcast, and we have a very special guest today. Will, what's going on?
1: Not much. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Yes. Will, we met, we connected through YPO, as few of my recent guests have been, and wanted to invite Will to be a guest because I think interesting story to share and some very, a business that I thought was kind of. Good to discuss, but also just your experience and being in YPO, I think, was also, I'm sure our audience loved to hear your story. So first question I always ask is, take us back, you know, tell us about kind of the beginning and then how you got here. So maybe just a little background.
1: Sure. So I started with a very early love of technology. Had an Apple IIe e in the early early eighties, I was very fortunate that my kindergarten or my elementary school back then had a computer lab and we had somebody there that taught us Apple Basic and how to program or at least some very early elementary programming concepts and you know made a little ASCII rocket ship go up and down on the screen and that kind of started a love love affair for all things technology and computers also got into early computer games video games. And basically pursued a career in technology and engineering initially, and entrepreneurship. Founded a a number of companies. One right out of the gates out of college, uh, in the kind of early Web 1.0 era. Took a bit of a detour and did something in consumer beverage. Went back into worked in enterprise tech, consumer tech. Worked at Netscape. Worked at Yahoo. uh, Founded a company called Affinity Labs and had a a fortunate fast acquisition of that company and it kind of allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do so I wanted to return to my original love uh of video games which kind of started my my interest in technology so I saw a huge shift around 2009 in the in the western gaming space where Facebook games became a thing and free to play i mean free to play was not a new concept in asia specifically china because at the time console video game consoles were pretty much illegal and there wasn't the same sort of packaged goods based video game industry in china and so free-to-play was sort of born there and then you started to see some free-to-play web games in europe and um you didn't see it come to any sort of um, say mass popularity until really Facebook started a platform around 2007, 2008, I think was the birth of the platform. Mm -hmm. And I saw a pretty interesting opportunity for me to enter the gaming space with with no prior knowledge on how to make video games other than some student projects and some fun little side projects that I would do. I was pretty much um, a tech and entrepreneurial generalist. And so I saw an opportunity to kind of join in on the fun and specifically make games that, you know, appealed to a non-casual audience. So at the time, Farmville was extremely popular, but Facebook was huge and the gaming platform was huge, but there weren't any games that I wanted to play. So I wanted to change that. And that's what kind of birthed, you know, me entering the gaming market in general.
0: I love it. So no not really any experience in the gaming space, but you know, entering the gaming space. So I love those stories when you're like I actually don't have that much, you know, prior experience about a specific industry but want to enter it so and have been very successful at it. So tell us about your current company and how that, that all got started.
1: Yeah, so my current company is a is a spin out or a divestiture of my last company Kixi. So in 2009, I teamed up with two guys that had founded a company called Casual Collective in London, and they had invented a game called Desktop Tire Defense, which was a very famous game back then and won all sorts of big awards, but they weren't making any money they didn't have a they didn't have a good business model and so I was connected to them by a mutual friend who was their angel investor and ended up recapping and effectively restarting that company as a company called Kickxi and moved them to San Francisco. And this is around late 2009. And we developed a game called Backyard Monsters, which was very popular and sort of birthed an entire genre. Clash of Clans is the most notable example in that genre that certainly borrowed quite a bit from us. And we went on to make some other popular, financially successful games, War Commander and Battle Pirates and things like that. So we sold that company, um, or the majority of that company in, 2019. And there was a game that we've been working on that we didn't want to sell that wasn't released still in R&D. So we spun that game into a new company called Global Worldwide that did not go with the with the acquirers 2019. And so that's what we're running now. So we're exclusively about one game. It's a mobile strategy role-playing game called Kingdom Maker. It's available in about half of the the global markets right now on iOS and Google Play we're still sort of in test, but we're slowly starting to launch it and, and and throw more marketing resources and dollars at it as we continue to improve it. So yeah, we're basically roughly 85 people headquartered in Atlanta. So I moved from San Francisco to Atlanta in 2019, just before the pandemic. Certainly glad I did, uh given what's happened to San Francisco uh, post pandemic or during. And uh and yeah, we're just making this this one game, trying to make it as great as possible. I mean, it's hard to believe we've been working on this game for like 7 or 8 years. It's a very very big game, complicated from an or I would say uh there's a lot of architectural work and it was built in so that it scales as efficiently as possible and is very performant and speedy. So it's there's a culmination of a lot of lessons learned. Over the years from our other games that i wanted to put into it because frankly some of our early games had not the best engineering thought into the games you know we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants and we didn't have the time to really think about where these games were going we certainly didn't think about the games back then being multi-year multi-decade properties i thought that those games would last for a year or two max and you know so far all of our games that we made are still operating you know one's 11 years old and still making millions a month and uh, you know, it doesn't have the same attention that we would put into it from a live operations perspective. But so anyway, we put a whole lot of engineering focus into this game so it would scale and support a larger user base and you know, no downtime, just trying to make it as optimal and efficient as possible. And of course, on the product side and the design side, we wanted to make something very special and something players hadn't played before.
0: Yeah, something new. So you mentioned you were interested in gaming, you know, in your, your younger days. So, what is the? Why did you want to make a business out of it? Like, what was the passion behind it?
1: Um, I just wanted to do something that I thought would be fun. It's a very simple answer, and I, I wanted to combine fun and and making money.
0: Okay, that uh, do you, uh, do you still play games to this day?
1: Not as much as I did <laughs> before I started okay. making them you know part of it is i just don't have a lot of time given the right. time at the office and i have two young two young little girls and uh you know work life balance is not exactly um uh, a luxury i can afford at the moment so most of my game playing is playing our game kingdom maker but when you know new games come along that are breakout hits i definitely pay attention and i mean i do a lot of competitive research and things like that but right. Uh, every once in a while, I'm able to play a game for fun. And that's nice, but it's not like it used to be.
0: Did you think owning a business that was a creation of games would be as fun as what you thought it was going to be when you initially started this idea? It's
1: definitely been periods of fun and periods of not fun.
0: <laughs> okay. <so>. Any business?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, it's certainly better than a lot of alternatives.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the gaming industry has been around for a while. so. Share. Do you want to share a little bit about where it is now? Like, what are the challenges? Where do you think it's going? What's the future look like?
1: Yeah, I think with with most consumer media, accept, you know accessibility typically trumps fidelity, and that's what we saw with the shift of you know, free to play on browser, and then the mobile. Uh, you know, mobile mobile gaming worldwide is I don't know 150 billion dollars a 150 billion dollar market versus the console market is maybe 30 billion dollars the PC gaming market I don't know 25 30 billion dollars the movie business is around 30 billion dollars I mean those are all similar size and you know mobile gaming you know dwarfs all of those and it's growing Um, you know not as much relative to what happened during COVID but there's still a lot of segments that are growing and it's the predominant you know predominantly chosen entertainment choice for consumers it's you know everybody has a phone and this and this thing we have is like a little supercomputer in your hand and it can do a whole lot of stuff and you know people's attention spans have diminished and short session or you know multi-short session entertainment is is definitely winning over you know long form things that require so much exclusive uh, focus and attention right oh so, you know, any any future yeah, platform shifts. I mean, this is why I thought, you know, I wouldn't say VR is dead, but it is niche. And it will always be niche as long as it's not hyper accessible. I mean, it's, it's just a pain to carry this bulky device with you and, and put something on your head. It's a very cool, amazing experience, but consumers seem to typically vote and lean more towards accessibility. So future platform shifts that that come and go, I mean the ones that are going to win are the ones that that offer accessible entertainment period.
0: And uh so in terms of the future you're saying, do you think that the market staying the same, growing from a macro perspective what do you think?
1: I think it's just going to continue to grow. Um, okay. and you know I'm hoping that uh, we continue to see more quality content you know for a while mobile games suffered from just a whole lot of copycat money grab games you know repeat of the rinse repeat of the same thing and now consumers have a lot more choice finally the the bigger more established triple-a studios started to take an interest and in either through acquisition or developing better horsepower in-house there have been some awesome you know hits that have come out on mobile. There's some, there's some great, there's some great games on mobile, and I think we're going to continue to see higher fidelity experiences inside of this hyper accessible platform, and that'll continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, now we have, you know, my kids, they never touch a computer or a console. They touch iPads or phones. Everyone, when we let them, but you know, these generations are now growing up with with mobile devices and not these big clunky things on their desktop or something in their living room. I mean, those will always be kind of higher fidelity or um, boutique experiences, but I think, you know, consumers will continue to drive more and more adoption and more engagement and more time spent on, on mobile.
0: Which actually is an interesting uh, point, you know, kind of the generational changes, right? So maybe we were playing games on the computer, your daughters are now playing games on mobile devices what do you think is the future or is it virtual reality no definitely not.
1: I mean it only it'll only be yeah you know, the only time the only way that I can see virtual reality really working is when we have like neural implants um where we're having you know combination between augmented reality and full immersive virtual reality through some sort of neural device maybe not hopefully not an implant maybe a wearable or something like that like who knows where companies like Neuralink are going but i'm sure that we'll see a huge platform shift once that happens but that might be a couple decades from now or more i don't know i don't know what's going to happen between now and then who's going to come up with the next you know interesting shocking device Uh, but no it's definitely not vr with a headset
0: why not why why is that out of the question
1: well it hasn't worked for the last 10 years for good reason because nobody wants to wear big clunky things on their face for more than you know, x amount of time you don't hmm. carry it. You don't carry it with you, and just sit at a bus stop and put it on, or at work, or whatever. It's, it's again, accessibility has proven to trump any amount of fidelity.
0: Right. What about just a lighter headset? You think that might change no. things? No. No. You no. Know, I
1: mean, look. I remember. I mean, even if you remember a product called Google Glass, I do. It's as lightweight as possible, uh, and people kind of rejected that. People don't want to put stuff on their face you know, unless it's like a fashion statement for sunglasses, you have to wear it because of eyeglasses. I mean, it would have to really match that, you know, until we have tech that can fit in eyeglasses, then you have to convince non eyeglass wearers to wear glasses. I just I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. And well, I wouldn't bet the farm that it's under no circumstances is going to happen um, until some sort of neural uh, device but i would you know certainly not bet for it. Hmm.
0: Yeah, i've been thinking about that too. I was have had a couple of people on my podcast before and we were talking about like yeah, like things on your face and your face, like devices and how how would that would work and
1: i mean i'm not saying that there's not a market for it. I mean there is a market for it. Just like there's a market for other, you know, gaming consoles. It's smaller than the overall gaming console market or PC gaming market. But those are the. It's a subset within that market, and maybe a small subset within mobile. But it's never going to be on par with something that's you know lightweight and doesn't impact day to day living effectively.
0: Hmm. So yeah. we're going to skip that whole headset thing and go straight to implantables. I think. No, again, not skipping
1: it. I mean, it's right now it, it fills it fills a niche. Just like you know, there's still people that have home theaters or high-end stereos and things like that. I mean there's you know consumers are broken up in different into different categories. It's definitely a right. high fidelity experience. But the total size of market is never going to be close to the more accessible winning, you know, mobile device.
0: Right, right. One of the things that we've talked a lot about on this podcast is is AI. How has AI or has it really changed your industry or or even your business?
1: Um, it is well, look. I think you know AI has been in gaming for a very long time. Uh, you know, now that we're talking about you know these 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 language models like ChatGPT, and you've got other interesting AI tech that's, that's creating artwork, um, and that specifically definitely is useful um, from a number of, of of cases. And you know, we are using. We're definitely using some of the the art pieces to create some of the uh, let's say lower fidelity sort of highly iterative mass amounts of 2D art that we need for like items and things inside of the game that would that would take a large team of artists a long time to do, you know, AI is not to the point where it can like concept for us and do some of the, the real heavy lifting. But we are using ai at the moment in the production cycle to create assets in the game i think there's a lot of interesting things to have these language models to power npc characters inside of mmos or not mmos i mean single player experiences where typically ai was controlling you know NPC movement and behavior and things like that now it's just a lot more intricate and it's going to be a lot more interesting it could be very interesting for onboarding experiences for new players and MMOs and power NPCs and both single player experiences and MMOs mm-hmm. are people going to be using AI to completely design games and make new games I'm sure people are trying that just especially on the hyper casual angle just to see what works and see what you know throw stuff up and see what what hits I mean AI is impacting every industry mm-hmm. from a development perspective from a product generation perspective From an outsourcing perspective, you know, I think it is going to displace jobs for sure. To what degree, over what period of time, I don't know. But it is a bit of an adapt or die sort of scenario. So everyone needs to figure out how to use it, how to embrace it. And at the same time, if you're an employee, like, you know, how can you beat AI? What do you offer that AI can't? I don't have the answers to that because I'm going to have to tell my kids answers. And I don't know what I'm going to do. What sort of job advice I'm gonna give my kids in in 15, 20 years or, or beyond? Uh, because who knows what the rate of acceleration of this thing is? I mean, what job is safe from AI? I don't know. I don't know.
0: I I think strategy is safe from AI.
1: Absolutely not. Really? My God, no.
0: Somebody has to come up with the with the initial idea. Like I don't know. Speaking from like a marketing perspective, right? And thinking about AI from a marketing agency perspective, which is what you know, why are AI expertise... I mean, that'll
1: be the last, that'll be one of the last things to fall, but I think AI could do basically everything. I don't know. I don't want this, it doesn't have to turn to an entire AI discussion, but AI could be our evolutionary replacement.
0: Sure. I, I'm just, I'm saying more like shorter term, like in the next maybe three to 10 years, next well, hundred three years, Three
1: to maybe. 10 years is a very long time in AI development. In the next three years, no, it's not going to replace replacing strategy. 10 years, maybe.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I think I think it's quite possible that it's going to be so so intelligent that it might. I'm saying like in the near future. Yeah, all of the small things like in digital marketing, like creating copy, creating images or videos. Videos is the next one I think is going to be the big one where it's AI generated video. It's already starting. AI right can already
1: do a lot more than that. I mean, you can ask. So having this discussion with a friend of mine who's in commercial roofing, who's a big contracting firm, and I was messing around with ChatGPT. I'm like, "Hey, ChatGPT, strategically, what are the best new markets in the southeast I should be I should be targeting?" And it ran the numbers. I had to ask another few questions to kind of get the output I wanted, but it nailed it with with ten you know non obvious secondary tertiary markets where he should be selling and sending a salespeople based on commercial and industrial development. Uh, sure. So it's it's way beyond. It's already way beyond copy. Copy, you know, copywriting for sure.
0: Yeah, but I think we need to program it to like actually execute, right? Like, if I come up with a strategy for a client that they need like Facebook ads and email marketing, still like it's not there yet to the, for AI to like go and create the copy or the actual email. Their company's
1: already, their company's already doing that. One that I'm an advisor of. Uh, no, there's, it's very, very close to that.
0: It's close, yeah, but somebody still push the button and pull the lever.
1: No, it's not true i mean I, no there there's there there are companies that are extremely close to having working i mean right now different pieces are AI powered but I would say within the next year or two, they'll be working case studies where you can have some sort of AI marketing service that can far more effectively market a product. Where you just give it the product and it can maybe even auto generate assets based on the product or whatever and do everything kind of full suite maybe some human supervision or not i don't know but it's it's within within the reach
0: oh yeah definitely within reach but i i but yeah i think it's it's going to get there pretty soon i think marketing is the first thing to go <laughs> we'll, well we'll see about the next well I don't know like the
1: first thing to go i mean i mean look you i mean it can write code i mean there it can replace certain engineers i mean you know, nothing is safe nothing is safe at all medicine that's a, that's doctors aren't point. I mean uh, you know, I mean I really cannot think of a single job including CEO uh, that's that's safe
0: so I'm not I think the the dystopian future is that everyone's uh, AI is going to be running everything AI job uh, a CEO jobs drives- marketing jobs, all kinds. That's I don't exciting.
1: know. It depends. I mean, I'm excited. It's going to be, I can't wait for the exciting series finale of Earth.
0: Uh, me too. i uh, looking forward to that. Yeah.
1: We got, a, we got a front row. We got a front row ticket.
0: Um, uh, yeah, I know. And we're going to see how this all pans out. And, you know, with us, humans living longer, we might be able to see it for much, much longer than we actually even expected. How is this all going to change? Is it going to be like The Matrix?
1: I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, it's certainly possible. I think more likely, you know, there's a couple dystopian, um, there's a couple bad scenarios. You know, the most extreme is the matrix, which, I mean, if you think about, you know, rapid iteration in this, if any of these systems actually get full intelligence, then sure, that can happen. I mean, it's not going to say, okay, we're just going to listen to our lesser human creators just because it's gonna it's gonna probably optimize for its own survival and growth and that's what I talk about where it's you know it could be our evolutionary replacement and if you're familiar with something called the great filter theory uh one of the reasons why sometimes scientists and astronomers think that we haven't come across other advanced civilizations depending if you believe we have or haven't if you're in the camp that believes that we have not given the size of the universe and the age one of the reasons why is that they killed themselves with technology and maybe this is our undoing I don't know or maybe it unlocks just simply the next evolution of productivity this is the new kind of industrial revolution it is going to displace a lot of jobs so the other dark path that this might go down is that uh, we displace millions and millions and millions of jobs and we have a lot of very unhappy people what do we do with those unhappy people so that they don't riot and kill all the people with jobs or with money and you start to explore concepts like universal basic income and other things to make sure they don't kill everybody else i you know this is these are real considerations i mean i think this you know when chat gpt 4 came out so quickly and now chat gpt 5 is set out or coming very soon i don't know uh this the pace of development is 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 exciting and scary as hell at the same time and so we need you know we need to think about some of these things as a society Um, but since the majority of our elected representatives still don't understand Twitter um, and basic internet I don't think we're gonna get any relief from from any government body uh, that's gonna that's gonna come to our aid and effectively regulate this and I typically am very against most regulation but in this case I think for the sake of human survival we might want a little bit of regulation around AI.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be the government agencies that are gonna save us. It's gonna to have to be some sort of much smarter third party. But I never thought about it that way, that the reason why we haven't encountered, you know, life outside of where we live now is because it might not exist because it was taken over by some sort of supercomputers or AI well, or, or some machines. sort of
1: tech. I mean, you know, the theory is you, as society, I mean, look, We almost killed ourselves with with nuclear warfare. That could have gone a different way. The more technology, the more power a society has from a a technology perspective, the more risk of, frankly, extinction uh, with this power. So that's the basic theory. It's not necessarily that a supercomputer took over that that alien race and killed everybody, but some event happened as technology progressed. I
0: mean Well, wow. I don't want to end in a morose note <laughs> about the end of human life. Qu- final question is, how can the audiences get in touch with you or your organization?
1: Go to globalworldwide.com, kingdommaker.com, download Kingdom Maker on the App Store. Or Google Play Store is the, is the easiest way.
0: Awesome. Well, lot lots to consider here. A lot of good interesting points about where where the future of the human race is going. We went from gaming to the human race. <laughs> People but can, just can talk it about this.
1: a game maker, game designers so have a I have a wild imagination. I've watched I watched yeah. Terminator and the Matrix.
0: It's like it's like being, you know, a sci-fi writer or something like that, right? You could. It's got possibilities uh, are limitless
1: we are living we are living in sci-fi i mean this this device is in some ways more powerful than the the star trek communicator you know it's uh it's crazy we got yeah. a lot of a lot of technology very interesting advantages at our fingertips that we couldn't conceive 50 years ago
0: yeah absolutely well thanks so much for being on the show this was great to to chat and to connect and yeah Lots of lots of good points to consider about where we're going to be as a human race. So thanks so much for being here.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for your time.